Also, did you get the big product placement for Tide? I did. I mean, the box was like freaking huge. It was huge. And she positioned it just so. <laughs> yeah, right in the shadow, right through the light. There it is, Tide. <laughs> I'm going to get some super bright clothes. <laughs> I know. From Rosemary's Baby and Reggie McNeil, to Jason, Freddie, and Chucky, to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Helen Stewart. Hello. And Anne Conley. Hello there. So uh, last time we had in the studio with us uh, Anne's sister, Lizzie. She is not with us. Is she back at her place safely? Actually, she is in the wonderful world of Jacksonville, Florida at this moment. All right, cool. <laughs> at least it's a lot warmer there than it is here, I'm sure. <laughs> we also lost you, Anne, at the end of the last recording. Your little one came down and you had to take him upstairs to bed. So how did that work out? Yeah, I don't know if we, if you guys spoke on the air to the listeners about sort of how, how that worked, but we had almost sort of like a little mini child possession moment of my three-year-old coming down into the studio very silently and very bewildered with his hair sticking out in all directions. <laughs> it, it was very much like a scene right out of a movie. So if anybody's out there, you know, in the haunted house business and you're looking for an effect to recreate, that is definitely the one. Scared the bejesus <laughs> out of us as we were doing this recording. So, yep, sorry I wasn't here for the tail end of that review. Um, had a lot of fun talking about it, but um, needless to say, had to get the little one back up and into bed. All right. Well, tonight we are going to review the 1978 American slasher film Halloween, directed and scored by John Carpenter, co-written with producer Deborah Hill and starring Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut. So when we start out, we talk about what our expectations are going into the review. So, Anne, do you want to talk about your expectations? Sure. You know, I love doing these reviews, and I love modern-day horror movies. And it was interesting to me thinking back to sort of some of these quintessential Halloween horror movies, right? Between Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, of course, Halloween, you know, the whole Freddy versus Jason type of – just all all these quintessential, right – scary movie characters back in the day. But then I really started thinking about it and I was like, had I actually seen the Michael Myers movie? You know, I knew I had seen Jason and I've definitely seen some Freddies, but you know, had I seen Michael Myers and it turns out, no, I had actually not seen this full film. Um, so I loved going back and having the opportunity to watch it with this, especially as the new movie is coming out or in theaters now um, with Jamie Lee Curtis. And you know, one of the things I was really excited about was seeing Jamie Lee Curtis's entree, of course, into this genre as well. Because, you know, even when we reviewed Scream, they referred to her in that movie as, right, the the Scream Queen. That she's, right, the woman in this genre. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited to see that. Yeah, I had not seen this movie either. And as a matter of fact, I think I've only ever seen one of the Halloween movies all the way through. And that was Halloween H2O, which was the one 20 years ago that was supposed to be the last Halloween movie when Jamie Lee Curtis came back to reprise her role. And now we're 20 years later, which is amazing for me to say that, but 20 years later. And uh, the new, you know, I guess 
H4O, I don't know, whatever, whatever it would be, <laughs> uh, is out in the theaters. Um, so I was anticipating watching this movie and not liking it very much because I figured it was going to be fairly dated. And as with some of the older movies, they've been sort of done to death over and over again as their the movies that have come after them have uh, sort of perfected what they tried to do. Uh, and and I did have some I think some quibbles with the movie which we'll which we'll get into, but um but I was stoked to see it to see the original slasher. What do you, what do you think, Helen? Um, I think I'm crying a little tear right now because this is my favorite horror movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have seen this at least five times. I believe I own it on VHS since I couldn't find it on my DVD collection. I knew I was going to enjoy the movie, so I have nothing more to add. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, Anne, why don't you play the trailer? Absolutely. All right. It is trailer time and action. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. <laughs> trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. On Halloween night 1963 in the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, Six-year-old Michael Myers, dressed in a clown costume, stabs his older sister Judith to death with a knife in her home. Fifteen years later, Michael is now 21, and on October 30, 1978, Michael's psychiatrist Dr. Samuel Loomis and his colleague Marion Chambers arrive at Smith's Grove Sanitarium to escort Michael to court. Noticing that the patients are wandering about, Loomis gets out of the car to investigate, allowing Michael, who has escaped, to steal Loomis's car. Returning home to Haddonfield, Michael kills a mechanic for his uniform and steals a mask, some knives, and some rope from a local hardware store. First of all, I'd like to say if I had seen that trailer prior to watching this movie, I probably never would have watched that movie because that was pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> However, since I do absolutely love this movie, you're probably not going to hear too many criticisms from me. I love how it starts off with the six-year-old boy's point of view with the camera. He's outside of the house, kind of looking through the windows. His older sister's trying to get a little action with a boyfriend. He sees her going up to the bedroom with the boyfriend, and he gets into the house, has a costume on, a clown costume, which is creepy in and of itself. Sure. Puts a mask on, goes and starts stabbing his sister, and then you see everything through the eyes of the mask. And I just think it's so well done, especially at the end when he leaves the house. It's very methodical looking. And then the parents come home, they take off the mask, and there's literally, like, um, Dr. Loomis's, there's nothing behind the eyes. There's nothing. Like, the six-year-old kid's just standing there, and it just looks like there's nothing. just love that part. (laughs) So I really love this from the get-go of the opening with just sort of the classic imagery of the Halloween with the title with the floating pumpkin. I just thought, again, you know, 1978, right, just – 
kind of a lot of practical effects at the end of the day. You know, this is before CGI kids. <laughs> so, you know, how do we make this look creepy? How do we make these effects? Um, so I thought that was a neat intro. Watching from the outsider's perspective, you're kind of wondering who this is, right? So to me, I didn't know this whole time, right, that it's the brother, it's, uh, you know, a child at that point. And you're kind of following along. Somebody's stalking the house, you know, somebody's in the house. And then you see, right, the sister and the boyfriend. The boyfriend comes down, sort of walks right by, uh, you know, the camera, which is the, the young boy's perspective. And you're kind of thinking, would he not see this intruder? What's going on? Like, is that just really bad camera work? Or is there something else going on here? One of the pieces that did crack me up, though, is, of course, the boyfriend's, you know, putting on the clown mask and, like, goes up to, you know, have some fun with his girlfriend. And then the boy goes up and picks up the clown mask. And you see this weird arm come yeah. out. Yeah, the weird arm. That I was like, whoa, what was that? It, it was so skinny and so long. It was like a stick. They had like a hand, you know, yeah. on and they like went and it was almost like a Puppet Master is what I thought. Yes. The Puppet Master movies, but. That's what I thought. It almost seemed very puppet-like. And then I thought, oh, it's got to be a woman because it's like a long skinny arm or something like that. But I totally agree. You know, the perspective of the mask coming over the camera, the effect of looking through the eyes, that was really cool. Just cool from, I think, a filmography perspective, you know, cool idea directorially. And then of course, you know, the knife comes out and slashing. One of the things that really oppressed upon me right from the get-go is that, right, there's no blood and there's hardly any clear violence. So again, back in the day, I mean, you guys just reviewed Exorcist not too long ago, where you talk about just really how violent it is and, you know, all the blood work, you know, all the language and everything else. And this was almost the opposite, right? There was violence that was happening and there was slashing going on. There was no blood. You didn't see any physical stabbing. It was all kind of, you know, behind the mask, which was just interesting for me. I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll see where this goes. Again, you know, it's a young girl, so maybe they didn't want to go that far. But then again, after having seen Evil Dead not too long ago with the outrageous <laughs> amounts of blood, <laughs> this really kind of made up for it, bounced it, bounced it all out at the end of the day. Yeah, so I think a lot of what you see or don't see in the movie is due to the fact that it was made on a shoestring budget, and they really didn't have the ability to do some of the things that maybe they would have wanted to do um, if, I mean, they, if they had more money. Hitchcock used chocolate syrup for Blood and Psycho. I think they could have come up with ketchup. Well, I don't know. I just <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think a lot of what you see, though, is like that. So I generally liked the beginning, right? The whole from the kid's point of view. I will say, I'm gonna, now I'm going to point out some things. Helen, it's okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so first... I do think that the uh, where the camera was in relation to the height of the kid kind of changed. I was like, the kid's growing taller. He's like way up high <laughs> and he's kind of lower or whatever. And so, I, you know, it is what it is. But I thought that as, as the scene went on. And then the funny thing to me is that the boyfriend comes in and the sister, they're fooling around downstairs. And, he, you know, Michael's watching from the front. They're like, oh, let's go upstairs. They go upstairs. And by the time Michael comes around the house, goes in the door that's open for some reason. He doesn't open the door. It's already open. Walks in, decides to get a knife, and gets to the living room. The boyfriend's coming down the stairs, zipping his pants up. <laughs> and I'm like, did they have sex? Because that's pretty quick if he just I mean, went upstairs and came back. I guess he, yeah. I, I mean, one pump chump, I guess. He just came downstairs <laughs> and that was... That was the end of it. And the other thing is, so then the boy goes upstairs and the sister's door's open and she's basically naked. I mean, she has panties on or whatever, but that's it. She's topless and she's just hanging around. 
And she's brushing her hair. Yeah, we I all brush our hair topless at night. Yeah, don't, don't you, Ray? I, I mean, I probably do actually, but, <laughs> but then again, I'm not a woman, so and I don't have a younger sibling who could be roaming around the house. But I guess that's how they were in the Myers household. She's clearly very unconcerned. Yeah, she does seem very unconcerned. But that was, I mean, to me, that was actually one of the creepier factors because then you have this little kid, which is why I didn't think it was a little kid in the first place, obviously, for kind of a multitude of factors. But then, you know, then he walks in and, yeah, like she's naked and kind of goes up. But then she's saying, you know, Michael, and you're kind of like, wait, what? And you don't know that she has a little brother yet, so you don't know the context of it, but you're just like, this is so weird. And I like the idea that they toy with this idea that he basically doesn't have a soul. I thought that idea was well played. Um, I think that they, the zoom out, like it was very classic 70s, I think the look of it and everything. I think if they redid it today, they'd probably kind of play that up like a little bit. It might be more of like a zoom in than, than a zoom out, but uh, but it was good. It was good for setting the scene. Again, I just was like instantly transported back like very right late 80s, early or late 70s, early 80s, slow burn, just the look of the film, the tone of the film, the the setting. You know, really just even the house, the way that it was situated. Yeah, I mean, I think that the film looked really good. I expected it to look worse uh, mm-hmm. and have aged worse. But I don't know if it was the remastered HD version I was watching that kind of made it look good or not. Uh, the music was quintessential, right? We all know the we all know this the, the soundtrack or, or the theme. Um, so although I did find that they played that an awful lot throughout the movie, you know, but um, but I like that. The interesting thing about Michael Myers to me watching this movie was even though they say or Loomis says repeatedly that, you know, he doesn't have a soul, that that there's nothing behind his eyes and that he's doing this for essentially some unknown evil reason. The whole him going up and murdering his sister after she's had sex with her boyfriend and she's half naked and then him going after the girls that are the same age as his sister and they're sort of fornications throughout the movie. Like it definitely feels like he has some sort of sexual issue in his psyche that's causing him to do this he doesn't go after basically anybody else that he doesn't have to go after right i mean he kills the the um store owner or whatever to get to get the clothes and he only just steals i think the mask so he doesn't even kill anybody in the store i don't believe to get the mask and the rope and the knives so i i feel like underneath of it all he's sexually frustrated i guess what i did find was that there is a book out there that somebody wrote prior to the movie being made that's mm-hmm. supposed to describe Michael Myers' background, but it's a very rare book, so I don't even know if you can try to buy it. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. And your issue with the female arm is that it actually was a female arm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's a lady. Yeah. They had uh, manicured oh. nails. Oh, yeah. It was so yeah. weird, right? I mean, I literally thought it was like a stick with like a fake <laughs> hand on it, and they just kind of like stuck it to the mask and like pulled it back like i literally didn't think it was a real person so that's interesting whoever that crew member is get her a sandwich yeah it was. <laughs> i think it was deborah hill was it yeah. was it the producer oh and also i just want to give her a shout out for a second you know i thought that was really interesting to me watching the credits in the beginning and seeing a female producer on this i just thought really i mean for a late 70s horror flick with john carpenter amazing so yeah she definitely does not get enough credit kudos deborah so the one scene I wanted to talk about was uh, the psych ward. So pulling up and the patients wandering around immediately. I thought that was actually a cool effect, you know, just sort of the weird people in robes wandering around. To me, it seemed very American Horror Story-esque kind of thing. 
that was that was neat. That was a good effect. Spooky. I liked the whole scene with the doctor and the nurse driving, and it and the <laughs> nurse like smoking the entire time. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it just felt it felt kind of real, I guess, in a way, like right? Authentic. Authentic, yeah, authentic. And um, I I don't know so much about when they got there. It was kind of dark, and I I could see, I guess the the lack of money in there, right? Like all they see is like a gate, and it's kind of everything's dark, and they get out of the car, and then. They probably I, just like randomly found I, a gate. I, I'm, and they were like, I'm, let's just shoot I'm here. I'm saying, yeah, they, yeah, they, they probably, yeah, just randomly were like, oh, we're going to film here tonight. And they did it. And they got out of there before the person who owns the house came down and was like, What's, what the hell's going on? But, get, get some friends and some sheets to come on down. We'll just stick them in the yard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised at how, how human uh, Michael Myers seemed in that scene. Like, I was surprised that they actually showed him that much of him kind of jumping on top of the car. And you, you get a sense that he's a real person. And he actually moves around a lot more fluidly than I thought Michael Myers d- did, would, I guess I should say, given the sort of way that we view him in sort of the legend that's come up, right? I mean, he's almost like Jason Voorhees, right? He stalks. He just kind of slowly stalks. And even in this movie, by the end of it, that's what – I mean, that's what he's doing. But um, I was surprised by how much we saw him in that scene. I didn't understand that was Michael Myers at first. Oh, I didn't either. Okay. Yeah, I mean, later when they say, oh, he's escaped and he's the same dude, you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm well, putting the pieces together. But at that time, I thought it was a random inmate just yeah, attacking the car. I mean, I assumed when he took the car that it was Michael Myers. But up to that point, like when he was on top of the car smashing it, I was like, mm-hmm. is this just some random guy they're going to like shoot or drag off and then Michael Myers is going to show up some other way? The, the one part about the that whole scene with the nurse and um, Dr. Loomis in the car was that they had the matchbook. Oh, and yeah. I never really thought that they played that up well enough to figure out what the connection was. I guess later on when you see the mechanic's car, you're like, oh, yes, that that's Michael Myers. He had the mat or, or that's how they connected those two scenes together, that the the car that he stole from the, the nurse and the doctor was at the scene of the mechanic's car because that matchbook was there. But I thought they could have done more of that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't really understand if Loomis, it was funny because the scene opens with him on the phone, right? On the payphone, And then he gets off the payphone, And then he, did he, was he already there? Did he already find that stuff? Or did he get off the payphone and go, wait a minute. I think there's, there's uh, like the clothes Michael Myers was wearing and he just randomly stopped there to use the telephone. Like I couldn't tell which of those worked because when he walked up, he like looked at the clothing and then he saw the, the the matchbook, which kind of told you that that's definitely what it was. So I, I was confused by that yeah, minor point. I had issues with that scene as well, sort of out of convenience. Uh, all of a sudden it opens up with the doctor on the payphone warning this town 73 miles away. Oh, he's coming, blah, 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 blah. Buddy, just get back in your car and drive the extra hour to get there instead you're randomly stopping on the side of the road at some random payphone and then i turn around and wait a second there's a wrecked car behind uh, that that was just my take on it it seemed really sort of just like a convenient kind of scene yeah it, it, but then i liked it when he went over to investigate the scene and you know there was the dead body that he didn't even get to see i'm like i thought that was like well played yeah I, if you play it the other way and you assume that he'd already seen at least the clothing and then he made the telephone call it makes it less convenient that he was happened to be there and see those things i guess i'm wondering if it was um michael myers trying to say because the, the clothes were draped over an open door on the mechanic's car like here i am i'm on my way there here's a clue for you i want you to follow me 
Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. I didn't get a good sense in this movie much of Michael Myers. I think that's the point. Like, he's supposed to be a blank slate, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't get except for that he likes to kill people or likes to watch people die. (laughs) So... (laughs) But, uh, you know, to Helen's point, we don't know why. We don't know what his motive is. I mean, to your point, Ray, there's definitely – he's sort of attacking the same girl. There's a lot of sex involved in his stuff. Definitely. It seems right. And this is sort of, again, with Scream Lake, sort of where the rules come from, which I'm sure we'll talk about once we get into it. You know, other than that, yeah, there's not a lot of character development because you're not really seeing him. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about this movie is that it, like Evil Dead 2, is essentially a survival movie – over one night the Mm -hmm. babysitters and all that stuff happens in one night so there's not a whole lot of character development quote-unquote character development in the movie because it doesn't happen over that much time i really have to say i hate that you're comparing this to evil dead (laughs) 2 sorry it's okay i'll deal with it but made me cringe a little the following day on Halloween, Michael stalks Lori Strode. Throughout the day, Lori notices Michael following her, but her friends Annie and Linda dismiss her concerns. Meanwhile, Loomis arrives in Haddonfield in search of Michael. After discovering that Judith Meyer's headstone has been stolen from the local cemetery, he meets with Annie's father, Sheriff Lee Brackett. The two begin their search at Michael's former home, where Loomis tries to warn the skeptical sheriff about the danger Michael poses, explaining that Michael is pure evil and capable of further violence, despite years of captivity. Bracket patrols the streets while Loomis waits and watches the house, expecting Michael to return there. I I love how they portray the town, Haddonfield. Mm-hmm. It's very, I like, just picture perfect. Yeah. It looks like a picture perfect town that anyone would want to live in. And then they, it almost seems like maybe every picture perfect town has this creepy house that has some history, whether or not it's true. And it's the Myers house. And it does start off with Laurie's, I guess, dad is a real estate agent and yep. is trying to sell the Myers house. And they go to the house, and it's run down and broken down, and it's just – it was definitely gave, like, a nice, like, here's this picture-perfect town, and here's why we're going to start making it creepy. You can see uh, Nightmare on Elm Street takes that from this movie. I mean, it's very much like Freddy Krueger's house. It's almost, it almost looks like Freddy Krueger's house. So I, I was – I like that sort of touchstone between those two. I think I was just so distracted by Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, first of all, can we just talk about those tights? What was happening with those tights? That was awful. That was awful. I'm sorry, whoever the costume director so, was. There was none. Yeah, so so she... Everybody wore their own clothes except for her. Oh, man, I believe it. So, yeah, it was one of those where, okay, they're playing her up to kind of be the prude, sort of the little girl. Like, she's got these, like, really opaque, ridiculous six-year-old tights on um, and her outfit. Meanwhile, her girlfriends are much more, you know, well-dressed, more sexual, obviously. She's the Girl Scout, as they refer to her throughout the movie. But I was also just so fascinated with her looks because I had never seen – I hadn't seen this movie before. So I hadn't really seen Jamie Lee Curtis when she was young. So seeing her with the long hair and just with a younger face, it actually really, you know – Kind of like it took me back for a second there because I was like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing to kind of see how people evolve. And just she has such a distinctive look even today. Mm-hmm. And to see her young, I was like, to me, for whatever reason, my brain was like, you know, I couldn't stop looking at like her lips and like her jaw. <laughs> I was just kind of like, it was really interesting to me to just see her, you know, in a, in a younger form type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the whole, all those scenes with her and her girlfriends kind of walking through the town and going to school and all that. It, it, it lent a very authentic um, sense of, of the town and of mm-hmm. the uh, people in the town. I love the scene where the boys are bullying the little boy that 
Jamie Lee Curtis then goes to babysit yeah. with the pumpkin, and he drops the pumpkin, and it's, I don't know, I loved the song when I was in high school, the Rob Zombie song, because he took the, you know, he's coming to get you, he's coming to get you, the boogie man's coming to get you, and then he makes the song, and it just, I don't know, gave me some good memories of when I watched it back when I was 16. Oh. Nice. So that scene, I mean, obviously it was sad to me that that poor little kid was being bullied, but one of the things that, well, there are two things that bothered me. One, he had, like, rosacea. Which I was like, that poor little kid has, like, skin issues. Somebody get him some, like, calamine lotion. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing was, of course, the pumpkin he was carrying. It was a huge pumpkin. And, and first of all, you're like, that's going to be one heavy pumpkin. How can this little kid carry that? But <laughs> Right? Because pumpkins yeah. are heavy. I'm sorry. But – and then the other thing was is that it's not like a typical pumpkin. So he's talking about carving this pumpkin and he's got this funky, weird-shaped gourd-like pumpkin. And I know you guys were doing some research, right, about sort of like the timing of when this was filmed and everything. Yeah, so they had difficulty, right, finding pumpkins. Uh, it was filmed in, I believe, California. It was not filmed in anywhere where there would be an actual autumn. Um, and it, that actually distracted me in the movie because I knew that watching it. And yeah. I was like, everything's green. All the trees have green leaves on them. Uh, they're like cactuses in the background and yeah. pe on people's porches <laughs> and then they have the like there's there are these i guess bags of leaves they used and they put out in the foreground when she's kind of walking along the sidewalk that then behind her across the street there's no leaves anywhere and it, i don't just knowing that distracted me as i was watching the movie kind of took me out of it a little bit because in my popular imagination of this movie it was like actual fall you know pennsylvania fall everything's you know yellow or orange or red or brown and there's trees without any leaves on them and it really wasn't that in the movie without knowing that information it only bothered me this time so it never bothered me before if i had known it it probably would have but i yeah and i, I probably was looking for it this yeah time. i probably would not have noticed it either i mean if i had sat down to watch it on tbs or whatever i wouldn't have i probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have noticed it but critiquing it yeah the thing that caught my eye were like the lush waves of ivy you know, in this, in the suburbs, it didn't bother me that the trees were still green because even in New England, we've had Halloweens where the, actually the leaves are still green. Like for whatever reason, the seasons haven't quite caught up. It takes a little bit longer. So, but yes, definitely the idea that there was no browning grass, like there was lush ivy crawling all over the ground, right? There was no frost and definitely the lack of pumpkins was definitely something i noticed um and, and like even just that kid kind of carrying that weird gourd i was like i don't it just doesn't feel quite right but it was it was you know i mean he fell on it and broke like a pumpkin and then everything was right in the world so <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay so can we talk about loomis for a second because he basically shows up in this town and just kind of stands around for most of the time um uh, at the house like behind the bushes Stalks the, it, house. Yeah, stalks the house and like these little kids come up and he's like move your ass or whatever he says to scare them <laughs> yeah. And, like, uh, yeah and the whole thing so was kind of weird i mean he he, he was kind of stalky i think his character serves basically well two purposes one is at the end to sort of be able to shoot michael myers uh, spoiler alert but also michael myers doesn't do much through most of the movie to make you think that he's worthy of being that scary He's scary because Loomis in every scene tells you he's scary. You haven't seen him for eight years, eight years he's been locked up or the dead eyes or anything like that. You just, you don't even actually see him in the mask very much during the first three quarters of the movie. Most of it's over his shoulder as he's like stalking these girls, which is, you know, which is creepy. But, but I think Loomis's whole point is just to re-emphasize or emphasize 
that this guy is evil. I, I don't, I have to say, I don't know how much I really liked him as an actor because I felt his few lines that he had were a little overact. Like, yeah, evil I, behind his eyes. Like, I just felt like, just say it. Yeah, he's got nothing behind there. Like, I don't know why he had to do it in such a dramatic, it was like a weird dramatic voice. I don't know if he had, it was an accent issue <laughs> for me, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't think, I didn't like him as an actor playing that part. I liked him as an actor. Like, I immediately was like, oh, I like you. Like, you seem like a, a relatable kind of guy. But I felt exactly the same way. Like, maybe as a different character, maybe even, like, as a dad character would have, like, knocked it out of the park. I thought that as far as, far as being sort of the really concerned doctor trying to portray this, right, Michael Myers as being a monster, totally didn't quite deliver. I, I agree 100%. Um, I felt like there were scenes where he was overacting. There were scenes where he was underacting. Um, the the accent could have worked, uh, you know, a million times over. I think he totally could have made that work. But it just was, I don't know, he just didn't quite land it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually disagree, I think. I think that his acting was dramatic, and I think the movie need a little, needed a little bit of that drama. Like, so much of the rest of the movie is just people doing normal things and going about their normal business with Michael Myers watching them over, you know, the camera over his shoulder. There is no rising tension to some extent without Loomis sort of telling you that this thing's coming, that he's, you know, I, I know there is an implicit one in just the sort of Michael Myers stalking, but I, I liked the drama. And I thought he did a good job of selling a guy who had been, you know, watching this kid for eight years and had made it his mission to make sure that he was never going to see the light of day. So I don't know. I liked him. So I agree that the character and the content was spot on, right? The idea that you basically have to have this guy that's the broken record to your point, right? Kind of providing the overarching, this guy is a danger. He's a threat. He's back to town. He's going to kill some people. The, like the danger is very real. And, you know, certainly being in branding and marketing, I, you know, I can appreciate a soundbite as <laughs> as much, if not more than the next person. So the reiteration of that over and over again, I, I totally appreciated. But it was really, again, I felt like his delivery, right? right. To, to the end of the day was just like, mm, could have been creepier. Could have made me more concerned. I hear what you're saying. Uh, I'm, I'm like mildly concerned. You know, we might need to ramp it up a little bit. And it was almost it like be... the people in the movie didn't believe it either take, take because, him seriously yeah if mm-hmm. he had given any and i'm, I'm sciences so science based give me some evidence i yeah. want to know why you think he's going to come here and kill all these people not just say there's evil behind his eyes he's going to come yeah and you believe almost me. want him to be like more livid to be like that's what i mean like some scenes he was over some scenes right. he was under like if you really think this threat is real and these people to your point are not believing you you it's freak out time right it's time to be like grabbing people and be like you yeah. need to believe me he's back like it's gonna be a massacre he's gonna take like convince somebody well he he didn't want the including the, the audience yeah well he didn't yeah he didn't <laughs> want the chief to go and tell everybody that michael myers had returned and you know make it a public spectacle so he was downplaying that aspect of it even although i did like i did like the the him and the car because there's a scene at the hardware store where he's like looking at the camera, oh, facing yeah. the camera, looking around, and behind him, Michael Myers drives the car past, right? Nobody knows. Like, he doesn't say, hey, be on the lookout for the the, the um, hospital car, right, that right. was very obviously driving around town all day with a guy in a Halloween mask, which is which is crazy. And then, of course, later on in the movie, he's been standing at the at the house for, you know, I don't know, hours and hours and hours, and he turns around, and there's the car parked. Oh, <laughs> right there was Michael Myers. 
Later that night, Lori babysits Tommy Doyle, while Annie babysits Lindsay Wallace just across the street, unaware that Michael has followed them. When Annie's boyfriend Paul calls her to come and pick them up, she takes Lindsay over to Tommy's house to spend the night. Annie is just about to leave in her car when Michael, who is hiding in the back seat, strangles her before slitting her throat, killing her. So the whole, she's making popcorn, somehow manages to spill butter all over her clothes, but you don't really see that part. So this this is where I always found it hilarious. I'm just going to take off all of my clothes, wear the guys that I'm babysitting's daughter's like white button-down shirt, and I'm going to go into, which is, I think, weird, a laundry room that is apart from the house. So you have to leave the house that you're wearing knee-high socks and this white button-down shirt to do your laundry, and it's going to be done in time by the time the parents come home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a problem. Like, do babysitters strip down to almost nothing, basically not in a bathroom? They're just, like, stripping down, taking their clothes off? Maybe that's every man's dream, but I've I, never I mean, done that Well, I, <laughs> when, I, ne- when necessary. <laughs> if, if one spills hot butter all over oneself. <laughs> I, I guess. Or maybe it was, like, because she's babysitting a girl, it doesn't matter. But I found that to be odd. Not that I'm complaining, but I found it to be odd. And, yes, even odder was the why do they have a detached laundry room it is so far away like i always complain about having to just do it on the main level of my house let alone having to leave <laughs> yeah. the house yeah like in the garage <laughs> across the yard yeah. um I, I i had to say i kind of didn't care because i just loved like the risky business tribute sort of going on there i just thought the, i thought the look was awesome in fact i'm like did they take that look from tom cruise you know right, years that, later yeah i was gonna say it came out years later so yes yes exactly hey you know it's late at night you're in a private home, you're in a kitchen by yourself that, you know, is secluded. And if you were to, you know, spill hot butter all over yourself and you're like, oh my God, I've got to get this off. Yeah. I mean, I would strip down naked. I mean, at least to my underwear and like grab something. Well, and But if there was nothing around again, like you'd probably do that triage of like what's closer, like the laundry room out in the backyard or like <laughs> a bathroom with a towel or like you'd get something. So, you know, to her credit, she found a random white shirt hanging on the kitchen door. So, well, she didn't even have a bra on, right? I mean, she no. didn't have a bra on or anything. She was just like, I mean, if you had a bra and panties on, I guess you'd be okay. You just oh, strip down, and put, but she had like no top at but, all. But that was emphasizing her sexuality, right? As somebody who was going to be murdered in moments. So it was just to yes, me, I, it was just I, I kind picked, of reemphasizing. I picked that. up on that, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. So one of these things since we started this these reviews and we've been watching these horror movies. Why do so many horror movies actually have popcorn in them? You have Jiffy Pop a couple times in a couple of the movies we've watched. And now you have Jolly Time Popcorn in this movie that's being made. It just seems odd. I was so sad we didn't have the Jiffy Pop. I felt like that was a running theme that we had going through all the movies that we were reviewing. So I was was a little bummed. Also, did you get the big product placement for Tide? I did. I mean, the box was like freaking huge. It was huge. And she positioned it just so. (laughs) Yeah, right in the shadow, right through the light. There it is, Tide. (laughs) I'm going to get some super bright clothes. (laughs) I know. I will say of all the kills in this movie, I think her kill is the best. It has the most, I think, drama and terror in it. She's in the car. She sees the fog on the the whole inside the car is fogged up. She's trying to like what's going on. And that's when he strikes. I thought that was the most effective. I feel like each one did have a little comic part to it so she goes out to go pick up her boyfriend paul who by the way was carpenter's voice when he called her oh i like himself in the movie okay you know realizes she forgets her keys goes back to the house gets her keys is humming a song the entire time while she's wearing the ridiculous knee highs and button down shirt by the way gets into the car 
and realizes, wait a minute, I didn't unlock the car. Oh, wait, there's fog. Oh, no, now I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was a really good scene. Well, and then she's honking the horn like over and over again and nobody hears it. No, nobody anywhere. Although I guess later on, Lori physically goes to a neighbor's house and knocks on the door and screams and they're like, yeah, no. Yeah, no, they I'm peek not. through the blinds. Nah, nah, I'm not going to let you not gonna, that That's a prank. That's like a TP thing that's going to happen yeah. on Halloween night. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody wasn't paying their HOA dues. Yeah, something. <laughs> or they they ran out of candy for they Halloween. They were like, we're not going to open it up. Yeah. The uh, secondary building for their laundry. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I thought the same thing to me. It seemed like a very real scene where she goes out there and she goes to the car and it's like, ah, it's locked. I got to go get the keys. Like, how, how, you know, how many of us have done that? And then you go back in. Also, I love the 70s handle on the car, the old school. I drove like a 78 Ford Fairmont was my first car. So it was very <laughs> reminiscent. Might have actually been like the same car. Um, and then comes back and has that, hmm. You have that like, was I crazy? But yeah, distracted by what's going on in the windshield. You know, I thought that the the gagging sort of, you know, that, that reality was pretty well played. The stabbing I thought was lame, right? Yeah. Where he like quote-unquote slices her again there's no blood there's no actual slice it's kind of like is that really a real knife at this point i'm kind of like okay it's just it's just the film like there's just not going to be a lot of blood there's not going to be a lot of gore and that's okay um but but yeah so that to me i i liked i liked the setup and the execution was like eh. yeah the other thing about this kill and michael myers in general is i expected i knew he had the heavy breathing right through the mask but I didn't realize how many other sounds he makes that makes him seem a lot less, I don't want to say scary, but more human, I guess, than I expected. Like, I'm much more familiar with Jason Voorhees, right? And I kind of always thought of them as sort of very similar. And Jason, like, makes zero sound. So, like, I don't think he's even breathing. Michael Myers makes that breathing sound, which is supposed to be kind of suspenseful and scary. But then he also kind of makes, like, grunts and kind of does some things that, that I found were less, made him less scary to me. I enjoyed how they, the way they make him pop up throughout the different scenes. So for a while there, as you see him through the town during the day, mm -hmm. he's a full person. He's popping up. He's broad daylight. But then during the nighttime scenes, you just kind of get like this darkness around him and then his, his like face kind of glows. So in that scene where he's killing Annie, you see him in the rearview mirror and it's just kind of like you just see like just a brief, his face just pops up and then you're like, oh, darn, she's going to die. Yeah. And I just I enjoy how they made that pop up through the rest of the movie. I guess with it being dark, they just kind of made his face illuminate. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend Bob arrive at Lindsay's house. After having sex, Bob goes downstairs to get a beer for Linda, but Michael stabs him and pins him to a wall, killing him. Michael then poses as Bob in a ghost costume and confronts Linda, who teases him to no effect. Annoyed, Linda calls Lori, but Michael strangles her to death with a telephone wire just as Lori picks up. Meanwhile, Loomis discovers the stolen car and begins searching the streets. I am going to tell you the most shocking thing in this movie, and I'm not sure you're going to believe me because I don't know if you picked up on it or not. But when Linda and Bob are in their car getting ready to go into the house, they're talking about what they're going to do, how they're going to have sex. And Bob says at the end about... Let me see if I can find it in my notes. Ripping Lindsay's clothes off. Lindsay is the little girl that supposedly is being babysat right now in that house. That's probably the scariest thing in this movie. <laughs> oh, I no. was so confused. I thought I was getting names confused because we've got Lori, Lindsay, Linda. I was like, wait, <laughs> you know, first time you're watching this. And then later they talk about Lindsay, the little girl again. I was like, 
Oh no, he was. Yeah, are we gonna? What are we gonna do? Rob, rip Lindsay's clothing off, something like that, and like yeah, invite her to join or something like that. Like, yeah. Wait, what? Well, Linda didn't want her blouse ripped because it's too expensive. Right. So clearly, it's right. okay to rip Lindsay's jumper yeah, that was off that weird. was plaid. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm assuming what happened in reality is there's all these L names, and he said Lindsay, and they just had to go with it, and they just kind of went with it or didn't catch it. And that's where it is because I don't think they're implying that these two want to have a threesome with like a what six six year old or eight year old. Well, and I felt like who they meant was Annie. Yes. And I was like, that's not even one of the L's. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, wait. At least she's cute. There was no interaction between them and Lindsay, so you would assume that it wasn't supposed to be Lindsay. Yes, but I was surprised when I heard it. I was like, what? Or maybe Laurie, the prude. I mean, she's not there. So I thought, oh, it could be like a, you know, a fun, like making fun of the Girl Scout. Oh, we're going to like rip her clothing off and get her involved. But right. uh, yeah. That would have been more funny. Right. To have the threesome with the girl who's clearly never had sex. (laughs) (laughs) So they're upstairs and they're, and they're having, quote unquote, having sex, whatever. Um, (laughs) But uh, it was interesting. All I could focus on was the jack-o'-lantern oh, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the bed stand or on the nightstand, <laughs> like just sitting there. I'm like, who brought the jack-o'-lantern upstairs and, and lit it before they had sex? Was that like – that wasn't part of the instructions when they were in the car describing what was going to happen. I thought that was very dangerous. Yes, I know. I was thinking <laughs> I was, about fire safety. Ditto, ditto. I mean, there's you know a lot, a lot of bumping and grinding going on. You, you can bump that nightstand. I mean, again – just uh, and right, whose room are you in? Are you in the parents' room? And they've got this randomly lit jack o' lantern, and then you're like, you're gonna get so busted because you're gonna set the freaking house on fire. <laughs> but how how do they go upstairs without like so they don't find Lindsay or Annie or Paul, and yet they're like, okay, let's just nobody's here. Let's just have sex. Well, they, not they, supposed to be here. They talk to Lori. Oh, and she says she's gonna get. And Paul. she you're says right. she's going to get Paul, and then they're like, whoa, we have like like five minutes we can <laughs> right know. well he's it like he's 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 like we have five minutes we're okay <laughs> i did love the interaction between linda and bob i felt like that was like legitimately how a couple would act at that age like hey go get me a beer no you give me a beer oh like you know do you want more sex and you better get me the beer yeah so i do i enjoyed that part and then he heads downstairs and then his death, I, I think, is my least favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the thing that bothers me about it is that Michael Myers stabs him with an overhand uh, sort of thrust, and yet the knife is kind of like what you would think you would have to like, yeah. yeah, horizontal sort of to pin him to the wall. So I was like, I was a little confused by that. But I did like at after that when he's sort of pinned to the wall and Michael's standing there and he's kind of turning his head one way and the other and kind of looking at him. Yeah, I felt like that was his... It's almost like he's trying to figure out what death means or something. And that's why he keeps killing. Like, as he's as he's killing people, he definitely stares at them as, like, he's trying to study it. He's trying to memorize how death happens when you murder somebody. Yeah, I think he's actually staring at him trying to figure out what he's going to do with the body. Because he's like, <laughs> can I fit him in that closet that it's, it, later on he falls from? I think that's what he's actually trying to figure out. So this is where I was like, man, the rules are kicking in heavy because that's when the boyfriend left and said, I'll be right back. Yep. Mm, right. Yeah. So I, I just love that, right? I, I thought, that, you know, kudos to us for doing Scream first. <laughs> that's all I can say. Because it was really cool, you know, seeing those rules kind of in effect here. And then he goes down. I agree. I mean, um, I thought 
I thought the jump factor of his death was good, right? That he turns around and like, bam, Michael Myers is right there. I thought that was good and pinning him to the wall. Again, the lack of blood, it's not that, you know, I love the gore, but you're kind of, even when they looked at his feet without shoes on, I really expected to see some blood trickling down on his feet or something like that. Well, and then later on, Lori comes into that house and there's no, she doesn't wreck realize that somebody had been killed right there and the body's gone there's no blood i mean maybe michael myers was like cleaning up after himself to kind of stage everything i don't know he brought the clorox wipes with him from the ward <laughs> yeah maybe it was very, it's very clean at the hospital very clean um so, but i will say i think linda's death was one of my favorites i liked annie's a lot i thought that was done well but the choking with the phone cable i just thought that was really like visceral um you know for the for people who remember ro- rotary phones back in the day. Also, I love the dialing of the seven digits. Mm-hmm. Remember how you didn't need area codes back in the day. <laughs> you just dialed seven digits because nobody lived outside of your area code or you would just dial one <laughs> if you needed to. Um, so I thought that was cool. And then, yeah, like the old school phone, you know, with the spiral cable choking her. That seemed very violent to me. And it seemed very realistic to me. So I thought that was a great death. So the interesting thing about that scene, I thought, was when she's talking to Lori at first, and I don't know if you got, you ladies got that impression, but it seemed like she maybe thought that she was having sex with her boyfriend. Like there was almost like an orgasmic right. sort of sound to it. And then it turned into sort of gasping for air and the gurgling and all that other stuff. Am I mm-hmm. the only one? No, yeah. I definitely yeah. picked up on that. I think that was the point. Yeah. Good. I was just kind of like, yeah, that's, you know, I did. that's where she thinks that she's having sex. She thinks she's having fun. Then oops, she died. <laughs> yeah. It happens sometimes. <laughs> I loved how he put the sheet over him because he's not a funny character. You're not, mm-hmm. I, you know, you don't find him funny at all. And then he puts the sheet over him. And I don't know if it was reminiscent because she was the one who reminded me most of the sister, Judith, that he was like, here's a costume. I need a costume when I kill this one. He already mm-hmm. had one. The mecha- the, the, he, he, had, the he had the mask. He had two masks the, on. I don't think the mask was enough for him in that for that moment. I think he needed to, because, you know. Recreate the scene. Right. You are so because right. Because she's naked. She has kind of like the blonde hair. Yeah. That he that he's dressing up in a costume to be something familiar. No, you're totally right. No. I feel like the mask was not really him putting a mask on as like a costume, but just like his him feeling more like himself. Well, how, it was well, an this expressionless him, mask. Well, this is him pretending to be the boyfriend. Right. Well, again. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, he's He's pretending to be Bob. Yeah. Right. So in some ways, is it him trying to be the boyfriend of his sister at the beginning? Right. He's trying to fulfill that role that he can't fulfill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why he kills. Yeah. Yeah. And then right. Bringing back when you see the death scene, the tombstone with her in the bed, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't her, though. Right. That's Annie in the bed. Oh, it is. It's the blonde. The blonde is like which stuffed also, in half. Which also, I didn't. I didn't think that was right. Yeah, they should have kept her there because then my should've. theory would be right. Yeah, well, they <laughs> should have kept her there. It didn't make any sense that they would basically move her, like kind of tumbled in that dumbwaiter thing. Although right. that was creepy. I liked the effect. Um, I thought the characterization was all wrong. I totally agree that she should have stayed in the bed and Annie. Sorry, Annie, you should have been stuffed in the dumbwaiter. <laughs> Maybe it? she didn't fit. <laughs> Maybe. Like she was smaller, though, which also, like, yeah. kind of True. logistically confused me. Was it the same room? I, I don't know. Was it the room that they were killed in, the same room that he stages with the tombstone? It wasn't shot in the same the way. The lantern was there. Come on, Ray. Because that illuminated the tombstone's name. It's tombstone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Watch the props, man. No, I know. I just, the way it was shot, like when he comes in as Bob and the way that they shot from her angle out where he's wearing the ghost costume doesn't seem the same as the way they were shooting off the hallway. And then to the left, there was the room, the bedroom that he was in versus the right where she, where she stages the kids. Like, I don't know. They didn't film it the same way. So I didn't feel like it was the same room. Right. Maybe you're right. But I know I, the Jack, there know. was a Jack Lantern there. Well, maybe he moved it from one room to the other. <laughs> maybe. I mean, he's, he's cleaning them up after himself I mean, his, moving all these bodies. I mean, his his movie is called Halloween. Maybe That's he likes true. Jack Lanterns. I don't know. <laughs> they only had the one pumpkin. So they had to move it from scene to scene. <laughs> they, to, they, they just cut extra, like, teeth in, out or whatever to make it look a little different. After putting Tommy and Lindsay to bed, a suspicious Lori goes over to Lindsay's house. There, she finds the bodies of Annie, Bob, and Linda in an upstairs bedroom, as well as Judith Meyer's headstone. Horrified, Lori cowers in a hallway. Michael suddenly appears and attacks her, slashing her arm. Barely escaping, Lori races back to Tommy's house. Michael gets in and attacks her again, but Lori manages to fend him off long enough for Tommy and Lindsay to escape. Loomis sees the two children fleeing the house and goes to investigate, finding Michael and Lori fighting upstairs. Loomis shoots Michael six times, knocking him off the balcony. When Loomis goes to check on Michael's body, he finds it missing. Loomis stares off into the night while Laurie begins sobbing in terror. So my favorite part of the movie is just when he enters the house and is attacking her. Because it's like he's relentless and he's coming after her and she stabs him with the knitting needle and then picks up his knife and stabs him with that and drops the knife. And you're like, why are you dropping the knife? Don't drop the knife. Like yeah. He's going he's gonna to get up. And every time he gets up, it's like this weird mechanical type motion like he doesn't get up like a normal human being where you're like oh i just got stabbed and struggling he just pops up weird yeah he sits straight up like yeah yeah. so then she like eventually goes up and it's the scene in the closet which all hands down favorite part stabs him with a hanger i think that's just so awesome and he's just like oh like you stabbed me with a hanger and i'm gonna collapse on the ground and then he pops up very oddly there and then just turns his head weird and i just i I just love that part (laughs) yeah i mean so for me taking it back to uh, you know the first scene where where she's going into the house and finding all the dead friends i thought that was well done too i thought that was really intense so right she's walking through the house and you sort of start putting yourself in her shoes like seeing dead friend after dead friend after dead friend i mean you know a handful of your high school besties are now murdered you know bloody murdered and being stuffed in dumb waiters and in closets and like in this memorial with the tombstone, which again, you're like, oh my God, okay, was the tombstone in the car? Because again, that's one freaking heavy beast. How to carry that all the way up there to sort of pristine. But, um, you know, that, that kind of starts creeping you out. But of course, the one thing that drives me crazy is that she's freaking out. He's behind her. Again, back to the scream scene, you know, turn around, Jamie, turn around. He lunges out at her to stab her, and she's all of one foot away from him, and he misses. Right? He glances her arm, and you're just like, oh. And then she, like, falls down the stairs. And that was a brutal fall. I mean, she falls an entire flight of stairs. So do she does a good job of hobbling, so I thought that was good, right? She's, mm-hmm. like, sort yeah. of slightly injured, slightly maimed. But, yeah, that was when there's, like, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, You know, you, you can't totally, uh, you know, brutalize her. She's got to be able to run and do the rest of the movie, believably. But the the fact that, they, you know, he barely touched her on the arm with the knife, that, that kind of bothered me. I thought that scene where she's standing and he comes out of the shadows was the best scene 
of sort of his visualization. So mm-hmm. his, only his masks kind of comes out. And, see, and then, yes, he misses with the one time he actually misses yes, uh, exactly. with, with the knife. And then and then on her arm, it's just like a line of blood. It's not even like a cut. <laughs> it's just like a little line. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure she would survive falling. She doesn't fall down the stairs. She falls over the banister yeah. and lands on the stairs, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure your leg might be hurt, but I think your back's broken. I loved the part where she's trying to get out of the house. She can't get out of the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then she finally gets to the glass doors, and she's the, he had propped a rake up so that she couldn't, or a garden hoe, mm-hmm. so she can't get out. And I'm like, it's mm-hmm. there's a chair right there. Grab the chair. Grab the chair. And he's coming, and he's mm-hmm. trying to bang through the door that she locks with the knife. She's not grabbing the chair. And then she breaks through the glass with her fist. It's like, why didn't you grab the chair? But yeah. she gets out and then runs across the street. But I will say that they do set up the movie so that every all the kids in the movie seem authentic and believable. And she really has – I mean, yes, there was, he was kind of stalking them throughout the day. But she kind of wrote that off, I think. So when she encounters her dead friends – I mean, you can believe that she's in a state of shock, that she's not like – Mm-hmm. in her right mind so she's just trying to open this door over and over again and she can't open it and he's banging on the door trying to get through so i think of all the uh female protagonists of horror movies slasher movies that have come since then she's probably the most believable in this sort of i'm shocked i don't know what i'm doing mm-hmm. that is true yeah i and i have to say i just thought it felt a little out of character me in character for me that michael myers was so methodical about the rake Right. You know, because I thought the same thing. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Did he really think it that far through? Because uh, I, I appreciated the idea if we were adding that layer to his character that he, you know, sort of thinks through all the variables and sets the scene and comes up on them. And if you well, think about it, thinking back, he does to a certain degree, right, with his kills. But it seemed a little bit, I don't know, not gimmicky, just... um you know, out of character for him, maybe like a little contrived that he had sort of the wherewithal, the the, the foresight to go in and get this rake and prop it against the door and block her in. Well, he did change the sheets on the bed <laughs> before he staged uh, Annie. So, I mean, he's he's quick, he's capable. And also, he actually, the, the one scene that does actually point more back to what you're talking about is he's outside at some point and he breaks the flower pot, mm-hmm. I think, above his head to kind of like get, I think it's Annie at that point, I forget right. which, to kind of get her attention. So he does kind of do things. So yeah, I, I, I can get behind you it. You just don't really see him as an intelligent no. killer. And right. yet he's doing these things that, and, and yes, he drives a car without obviously ever having been taught. And Although they at least they address it in yes, the movie. Right? It's yes. not something they ignore. The guy says, well, how does he know how to drive? And Loomis like, someone must have taught him. You know, and he gets right. in the car. So, I mean, at least that was there. But overall, you, you, you wouldn't have expected these t- kinds of intelligent things coming from somebody who just is so blank-faced. And I know he's wearing a mask. You don't really see what's going on underneath, but I think that's why he chose it, because there really is no emotion going on. He's just going through trying to get these kills. I think he chose the mask because it was the only one there. He wanted a clown mask, but he couldn't that get it. That was an option, and they chose against it. Yeah. <laughs> they- also, what are they doing selling Halloween masks at a hardware store? L- listen, this is before uh, Spirit <laughs> Halloween and, and your... butcher knives. So yeah, I don't like. I understand it... knives, but butcher knives. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a general. It's the general store. It had a little bit of everything. It was a small town. <laughs> I wish he had like a tool belt with the knives in him. That would have been way cooler. <laughs> that is, yes, I agree. And various sizes and options. 
Okay, so then, of course, right, she escapes. She she runs across. She gets into the house with the kids. So then, of course, you're like, oh, my God, don't lure this, you know, evil character back towards the kids. But she's just trying to get to safety. Um, I like that she gets in the house and then, like, the windows kind of eerily open, right, that he comes through that. Um, but then he misses her again, which bothered me. Like, he, you know, the only character of this whole movie awesome. that he has bad aim. See, here's the thing. You have to understand. She has a virginity aura. Mm. that deflects slightly the probability of him hitting her and getting her and that's and that's what's saving her his depth perception is off because she's so pure so chaste yep <laughs> minus the pot halo that's why she gets cut in the arm only slightly that's the pot right there the right. rest of it she's pure right because she didn't fully inhale she did not <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I totally agree again with Helen's point that right that she grabs this knitting needle, which you know you knew the knitting had to come into it. She's like, like, like carrying this honking big bag of knitting needles around, and you're like, does the woman even know how to knit? Um, you know, pulls out this, you know, the the needle, stabs him in the neck, and then again, um, which I thought was good. I thought that was visceral, but it's same idea, right? Like he falls down. And then, like, she grabs the knife, she tosses it. I have on my paper a giant stupid, stupid, stupid written. Like, what, what were you thinking? But it's, you know, kind of classic quintessential again. Like, they're, they're being, a, you know, a little, a little stupid about it. But you can just kind of say, hey, you know, all the friends were killed. She's not jaded, right? This isn't 30, 40 years later where you've seen the killers come back. Um, you know, it takes a lot more than a knitting needle to kill them. Um, you know, she doesn't want to kill anybody. I mean, nobody, you know, it's not like, well, let me go over and stab him in the chest 20 more times. Make sure he's dead. You know, I think she's just kind of in that like days of denial of just like, okay, all right, he's down. Uh, it's done. Yeah. From the genre's point of view, I don't know if before this movie, like in Hitchcock's movies and things, if the whole trope of, you know, you've stabbed him and he's dead in the background and you're in the foreground and then he gets up to come after you again is like a thing. Mm -hmm. Or if this movie invented that, but certainly they go back to it a couple times here. Right at that point with the knitting needle, and I think she gets the kids to get out of the house. Tommy says, you can't kill the boogeyman. So it's just foreshadowing, hey, he's going to come back for you. And I just think that at that point I would have said, so where did I put that knife? <laughs> Maybe yeah, I should go yeah. grab it before he does wake up. Well, and, and I can I can get her stabbing in the neck with the needle and then she's kind of exhausted or whatever. But then when he gets back up and he comes up the stairs and then she goes in the closet and she stabs him with the clothes hanger and then the knife, I believe, mm -hmm. right? And then he's dead on the ground outside of the closet. And then she goes to the, to the doorway and is like leaning against the doorway and she's facing out. At that point, you should not be looking away. She right. le learn her lesson. Yes. Yeah, I have in my notes, yeah, she tosses the knife again. You're like, really? 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 You didn't learn it the first time? Also, it, it, you know, it kind of annoyed me that she locked herself in possibly the worst location yeah. in the entire house, right? Flimsy accordion closet <laughs> yes. doors. Like, this is going to protect me. Let me grab a tie and tie it around the handles and he totally can't find me slash bust in here. Also, I forget whatever. There's another movie. I can't think of it right now where somebody does lock them in a very similar closet and they're trying to be very quiet. She was not so quiet. I mean, I get that you're freaking out and it's hard to control it, but you're kind of like, shut up, Jamie. Maybe he won't find you and you'll yeah. have a chance. I think that's the point. Yeah. The point is that she can't control herself and then she's loud and you're supposed to be like, shut up, shut up. I just love how at every, every point where he 
it's the audience sees Michael Myers and the, and then the character in there isn't. So the entire time you're rooting for the character, to like turn around, turn around or run down the stairs or why would you choose a closet? But you know, you, you, you just can't, they aren't going to listen to you because it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. I did like how she, I guess she was trying to throw him off by opening the, the door or the window or whatever out to the balcony. I don't know, it was out to the balcony. It was just a window or whatever. And then she goes back into the closet. I was like, okay, I can I can maybe buy that. Like, maybe he's going to go out that way. But then, yes, she's whimpering and he's mm-hmm. not fooled at all, I guess. But I appreciated, again, that the Girl Scout was very inventive and she grabbed that hanger and, and you know, railed him. Which I was just like, you are hoes. I mean, I was like, I don't know how she's going to get out of this right. one. That's true. You're literally in a closet. You've got nowhere to go. He's hacking through, right, the particle board <laughs> accordion doors. I was like, you are so hosed. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like, I think that, you know, Girl Scouts aren't as big today as they were back in the day. So I th- thought probably the reference was probably funnier, more interesting, you know, just more uh, poignant kind of back in the day. But the idea that she grabs the knitting needle, right, then she grabs the hanger, like she's <laughs> literally making the weapons as she kind of goes along uh, and gets them, gets them good. So, uh, yeah, go Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, and I was surprised that uh, at the very end when Loomis shows up, I was surprised that she pulled the mask off briefly. That they mm-hmm. even showed his face at all. And at first, his one, his one eye that she stabs is all, like, closed up or whatever. And I didn't realize at first it was because she had stabbed him. And it was – it just reminded me so much of Jason Voorhees once again. Like, because he's supposed to have been sort of physically deformed. And I was like, why does he look like that? Oh, yeah, okay, she stabbed him in the eye. Like, he's a normal-looking dude otherwise. Uh, and then Loomis, of course, pumps him full of lead, and then he falls out of the, out of the window. So every time I saw this movie – and this was something that I found as a fun fact. I've always thought his face was unbelievably grotesque. And then I read that because of the way they shot the film, the majority of people see that because that's – you imagine him being a monster. That You don't imagine him being a normal guy, but it was just the guy's face with a small cut. Yeah. So I thought it was like I was really looking this time to see, like, what did his face look like? And he was a normal guy. I was like, how did I perceive that? Like, it's crazy how just watching the film, you just would imagine that he was a monster. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. Um, certainly being a first-time viewer when I saw it, I, I think I was like maybe in the middle of writing a note. And so as I glanced up and I saw it looked like a very clean face, but it, it, I couldn't quite see what was happening with his eye. I thought maybe he had like a prosthetic or makeup or bad makeup. There was like something going on around his eye. Uh, but I was just like, okay, you know, I don't know. Have to go back and watch that in slow-mo and see what was going on. But this is, again, where that scene is where the doctor turns around and he sees the car 20 feet away, right? Runs over and then he sees the kids. Um, one of the things that I thought was actually pretty terrifying in this movie, and we talked a little bit about before, is trying to seek help from the neighbors and not getting any. Mm-hmm. So, again, the idea that you're in a neighborhood where you you feel protected because there are people around and you're running, like, banging from door to door and, and people are just like right and they not were believing you clearly babysitting these kids on a routine basis because of the relationship that they had yeah yeah so then in the end because this is you know obviously the end of it um one of the things that you had mentioned right throughout the movie was the heavy breathing and throughout the movie i didn't overtly notice it as sort of like a stand out effect you know just sort of something inherent with the character like kind of as you're going through it but I loved in the end when he disappears. And again, right to that sort of first person camera view, when you have it with the kid with the mask in the beginning, you have this sort of 
handy cam going around looking with the heavy breathing. And it's it was like <sighs> <sighs> and you know, it's in the house, and then it's in the backyard, and then it's down the street, and you're kind of like, Oh, I love this because it's basically saying he could be anywhere. Right. That's exactly what I had in my notes that exactly how you wrote it out and then just evil can be anywhere yeah it's so good i love that now that we've reviewed the movie it's time to rate it only the best movies make it to the top of the hill and to be the best they have to perform in three categories first technical composition which represents how well the movie is made including script directing cinematography acting and effects impact which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent was it scary was it funny did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality and finally, enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to see it again? First, let's talk about technical composition. What do you think, Helen? So I, I would have given it a 7. I also agree that the lack of blood during some of the killings was not realistic enough for me, despite knowing that it was on a very low budget. Um, the scientific, unrealistic type of like just knowing that you stab somebody and they're suspended with a butcher knife didn't seem realistic to me and some of the scenes that just didn't kind of like tie in as well as as i thought that they could have like the the matchbooks the acting of dr loomis i felt like was a little off but overall like i thought it was pretty good and technically i thought this film had a lot of issues um i think that right there weren't a lot of effects um, so you didn't really get that bonus technical rating, which some some movies will inherently get bumped up from. Um, I think that, you know, as we talked about sort of the convenience factor, um, you know, oh, you know, I'll, I'll wait for the other categories to dig into it a little bit further. But technically, I gave this a four. Yeah, so I thought this movie looked a lot better than I expected it to. I also thought that overall being the sort of first modern slasher movie it did a good job, but as you pointed out, Helen, and and there's a lot to be desired as far as the the blood and some of the effects. And I I just I can't get past the fact that the trees are green, <laughs> the grass is green, and there's no leaves, dead leaves in the background. So um, I I'm going to give this movie a six from a technical perspective. All right, next uh, let's talk about impact. And you want to talk about the impact? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I thought the impact overall was pretty good. There were some good jump scenes. There was some good suspense. We talked a little bit about the soundtrack. The soundtrack was epic. It was awesome then. Yeah, it's I liked it. Awesome now. I loved it. Totally, we had like basically six bars of the score that we use over and over again. I don't care. I thought it was awesome. So I gave it actually a, a six for impact. Okay. Helen? Okay, so I gave it an eight, but that's probably because I love this movie that I'm reading it so high. That's okay. Um, I feel like, especially with all the issues that we have going on in today's world with, you know, kids coming in and, and hurting their fellow classmates, that you just never know who's going to hurt you or when. And this is kind of like tying into that because you don't know who the boogeyman is, essentially. So I felt like even though this was made in the 70s, that it is relevant to today and that it was just horrifying. Okay. And I gave this movie a two for an impact. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I, it wasn't scary to me. The jump scares weren't especially jumpy to me. There were a couple times. Um, I enjoyed the first 
I would say two thirds of the movie, much more than I enjoy, enjoyed the last third of the movie of uh, the build up, this sort of depiction of the town and, and the girls and all of that. I kind of liked more, although I'm finding that as I do these reviews, I'm learning more about myself as a movie watcher. And I think I kind of like the the build up more and and the sort of slow burn part more than I actually like some of the um, the visceral horror of of the movies. I gave it a two. All right, and finally, let's talk about enjoyment. Anne. So despite the fact that I gave Tech 4, Impact a 6, I enjoyed this movie. So I actually gave it a 7. I actually, again, I love the 70s. I like the slow burn. I do enjoy, you know, just sort of the methodical pacing of that. I think a lot of modern movies have serious struggles with pacing. It's try, They're trying to do too much in too little time. Yeah. It's too fast. It's jumpy all over the place. You know, there's a lot of stuff just flying every direction. This was one of those where I enjoyed it. And, you know, when you hear people say, I watched this eight times every Halloween season, you can understand why. It's definitely something I would go back to watch. It's probably not something I'm going to go out and buy the DVD. Sorry, Helen. And like watch <laughs> it like, you know, five more times over the next week. But, you know, if it's on TV or if somebody's like, would you want to watch this? I'd be like, yeah, let's pop some popcorn and watch it. Yeah. For myself, I rated it a four, which um, on our scale, one through three is the bottom and four through six is sort of the average. And it was slightly less than average enjoyment for me. I apologize, Helen. Um, I did I did enjoy it, but I enjoyed it more for the historical aspect and, and watching the sort of first slasher movie than I actually did for the, the story that it was trying to tell. I gave it a 10. No surprise. I will always watch it. And that's, I think, is our first perfect <laughs> score of all the scores we've given the movies we've, we've reviewed so far. So, All right. So our scale of rating for Halloween, we've got one to three. I loved it about as much as I love those fake leaves. We've got four to six right in the safe zone of, okay, I can live with the fake pumpkins. And we've got seven to nine. You know, I enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. In fact, I might even be Michael Myers for this Halloween. And number 10 is I love this so much. I'm renaming my three kids, Jamie, Lee, and Curtis. <laughs> nice. So uh, could you tell us, Anne, what each of our individual scores were and then the overall score for Halloween? Absolutely. So, Ray, you came in at probably your lowest score for any of these movies yet, a solid four. Good. <laughs> Ouch. Helen, you came in above the average, which you can imagine, this being one of your absolute favorite films, at an 8.3. And I came in right in the middle there, right in the safe zone, having highs and lows in my rating at a 5.6, meaning that the average for this film came in at a 5.97. Okay, so that actually places Halloween slightly above the ring. <laughs> yeah, but below our uh, top movie, which is still... Annabelle. Well, as long as it's over the Evil Dead 2, I will be a happy person. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-hosts, I hope you'll join us next time when we review Halloween 2018. Before we end, I just want to shout like, out this really crazy fun fact that I found about a government conspiracy theory. So um, some person 
and this is not supposedly real, discovered that this serial killer out there named Stanley Styers is what was motivating the Halloween movie. Okay. So he was born in 1912 and went on a 1920s killing spree in Iowa. Um, His background kind of ties into the Rob Zombie version of Halloween. So that's like a white trash background. He was a child who was abused by two drunken parents. Um, They had found out that he was switched at birth by a diabolical nurse who (laughs) this guy then later kills during his rampage. (laughs) And that that child who was theirs was later killed in a car accident, so they couldn't just do a switch. Um, Then he snapped on midnight of Halloween Eve. He whipped out a butcher knife, kills the entire family, and also the dog named Mr. Snookers. Mr. Snookers. Yes. <laughs> Apparently the dog, Mr. Snookers, was terrorizing the neighborhood, so not many people were upset that the dog got killed. <laughs> <laughs> he also killed um, his bully classmates and one classmate um, and his entire family. He had superhuman strength. And then the next day he was captured um, at the park eating Halloween candy. Wow. So, yeah. Well, he... I mean, he worked up an appetite, I'm sure. <laughs> Later was um, placed into a mental institution, escaped, and then got shot at multiple times by the feds. So reports of his murder still occur today. The last one was in 2017. So this guy is like 106 years old at this time. So they, they believe it's like a supernatural thing. And he's on the um, paranormal defense agency list as number nine on the 10 most wanted. Wow. So apparently we have a paranormal defense agency list. I was going to say I'm not I'm not sure which I was more shocked at, the fact that he's 106 years old and still murdering people or the mm-hmm. fact that we have this paranormal defense list. We yeah. got, we got to get a copy of that. Yeah. That's we do. awesome. So I'm going to do more research into that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop at that point, but I was just floored that there's an entire website on this. Wow. On I, this it, man. It'd be interesting to do, did you read at all, whether it actually is connected to the genesis of the Halloween story, like did they take that and use it as the the basis for the movie, or is it just coincidental that all these things sort of link up? So this is apparently completely made up. Okay, and that Halloween is not based on that at all. Okay, I don't know if the later movies tried to explain it and tie it into his. I mean, I guess some people believe it because it's a conspiracy theory. Sure. <laughs> But it, I mean, it completely sounds unrealistic when you're 106 and I don't know. They, they are making Halloween uh, 2018, in which he is 60 something, because the original movie came out in 78. He was like 23, I believe, at that point. It says 21 in our uh, wiki, but in, actually 23 for the for the uh, credits at the end of the movie. Oh, so so he's That's like 60 something in this movie and still killing people. That's true. We don't know how he's killing people because we haven't seen it yet. That's true. So maybe he's aged. (laughs) That could be, but 102? Uh, You know, he could get there maybe. 